0: Hi, I'm Roman Klein. Hi, I'm Bruce McEvany. Hi, I'm Jenny Williams. Hi, I'm Tom Ren. Hi, this is Wendy Schaefer. Hi, it's Keith Bradshaw. And I'm Ben Hook. In conjunction with Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, this is Hooked on Sport. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another show. Today is episode 28, Bang Bang. We talk shooting sports shooting and its various disciplines from pistols to rifles. I don't think it's beyond anyone's comprehension to recognise the stigma that surrounds shooting. We all know guns can be dangerous and, in extreme cases, misused with devastating outcomes. But it also shouldn't be beyond anyone's comprehension to distinguish between the guns we see and read about it in the news section of the newspaper and the stories of guns that belong in the sports section at the back of the paper. It's a highly skilled endeavour where the most talented, the most dedicated, the best of the best go to the Olympic Games. Luke Van Kempen is the CEO of Shooting Australia, which is based in Adelaide. He joins me next.
1: Hi, I'm Bronwyn Cly, CEO of Netball SA, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport.
0: Luke Van Kempen, welcome to Hooked on Sport.
1: Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here.
0: Luke, uh, let's make a declaration right at the top. You and I are very old uh, cricket buddies, rivals, mates, however you want to call it. How does uh, a former tea tree Gully cricketer rounder go on to become the CEO of an Australian Olympic sporting event?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a journey, I must say. And uh, it feels like a lifetime ago that I was uh, chasing the leather that you were hitting around the park, that's for sure. But, <laughs> Not um... for
0: long. You normally had that sorted out after about 20 minutes.
1: Uh, well, there was, uh, it was a pretty quick outfield out at Pertaringa there, I, I certainly remember. And uh, yeah, fond memories of, uh, of those cricketing days. And I guess you know, through my, uh, you know, my playing exploits, I was able to secure some work early on with the South Australian Cricket Association. That soon led to an opportunity to move to Melbourne and, and work at cricket Australia, where um, I, th- I think is where you know I really started to learn about sport business you know one thing working at the SACA, you 've got a really good understanding of um, sport governance and, and how you work within the you know the structures of community sporting organizations but cricket Australia at the time was was really transforming from being an organisation to a corporation and and it's now certainly the latter. And uh, yeah, it gave me a great uh, opportunity to work at a national level and uh, to develop some networks across Australian sport that I guess have uh, yeah, opened up further opportunities into the future.
0: Just let's get a bit of an understanding of shooting. Uh, you've come from Cricket Australia, an enormous scale, a very, very broad organisation. Where where, do you, where are you relative to Cricket Australia, for example?
1: Yeah, I've been making the observation since starting this role last August that um, all different sporting organisations in Australia uh, have, I guess, a different stage of their evolution as a sport. And, you know, shooting Australia and and Australian shooting isn't quite as progressed as, as cricket has I guess over the over the years uh, along that continuum of evolution and uh, and so shooting Australia's role is is really to to lead the success and growth and sustainability of target shooting sports in Australia. We have uh, a member organisation structure that's probably more complex than most sporting organisations, in that, uh, you know, we have five different disciplines of shooting that uh, are also represented by their own um, national member organisation. Each of those national member organisations has their own different state and territory structures. So you know, appreciating that um, you know not all states and territories are, are represented in that, but there's about 43 different organisations in the in the structure of uh, uh, and the governance of, of shooting sports, and our role primarily is to identify and train and develop athletes that um, represent Australia at the Olympics or World Championships or, or Commonwealth Games in the past. And in, in doing so, in recent years, we've played more of a role in the participation and sport development space, given that, you know, we have a responsibility as the as the leading organisation to make sure that the future of the sport is secure and that when it comes to Los Angeles 2028, maybe Brisbane 2032, that Australian shooting is still going to be as successful as it has been in the past.
0: It has an incredible success record. How do you transfer success at Olympic level into growing your sport at the junior level. I mean, you've come from cricket, as you said, and, I mean, it was pretty straightforward with cricket. You took a heap of cricket balls and cricket bats and equipment into schools, and away you went. That's how you encourage kids to get into the game. I imagine that's a little bit more difficult. You can't just wander into the local school with uh, 20 different firearms and say, our kids, away we go. How does that process work specifically for your sport?
1: The overlying framework is, is pretty similar when it becomes... Uh, pathway development you're right you know we we certainly don't uh, go anywhere near primary schools uh, as a means to develop participation but there are a number of different pathway opportunities that um, high school kids can participate in, you know, regional zone championships that aren't necessarily necessarily organised by the school bodies, but they're organised by local volunteers and, um, you know, people with significant interest in the sport, you know, in a region, for instance. So the, the pathway structures are pretty similar, you know, for each of the disciplines, there's, um, you know, there's zone or state or, or national championship structures, which, um, which you know, young athletes can, can enter the pathway in. One of the, you you know, one of the great things about our sport is that you know, time as an elite athlete is is much longer mm. than than it can be in other sports. So there isn't the inherent pressure to um you know to to be within the you know the under twelve, under fourteen development squads mm. um or or you're not going to make it. Um you know you can't get a, a license for a firearm and, until you're you know, twelve or thirteen, and and that's actually slightly different in each different state and territory. So I guess once um, people get to that stage and you know they've, they've generally had uh, you know, some sort of, you know, whether it's family or, or friend, introduce them to the, the sport side of shooting. You know there, there are some structures and some pathways for, for people to follow through.
0: Is it traditionally more of a regional sport? Is that where the predominant number of your athletes generate from?
1: Yeah, it depends on the discipline, actually. So we kind of put our five disciplines into three major pots, which is pistol, rifle and shotgun. So, you'll find pistol shooters uh, tend to have a metropolitan background. They, uh, I guess it, it comes down to access to um, facilities, but it's a sort of a, you know, probably an outer metropolitan sort of locale for, for most of those. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, rifle and, and, and shotgun, definitely a, a strong country uh, upbringing. You know, I, I grew up in the country and, uh, and had access. And, uh, and was given uh, education around firearm safety through my grandfather and, and uncle who, who had a farm. And um, you'll find a lot of uh, young people that, I guess, nurtured into the sport from that basis. Uh,
0: look, what makes a good shooter? I mean, calm nerves is probably one. But when you're talking about talent identification, what, what, do, your, uh, what do those people look for?
1: We want people who can hit targets. So you know that that's slightly different again when it comes to you know shooting at a stationary target from a uh, a pistol or rifle perspective or or shooting at a a moving clay target in shotguns. So you know the, the ability to you know, fiercely concentrate for a long period of time uh you know i've, I've taken some guess, observations it's a bit like batting in, in cricket and you know this because you know you, you might be out there for you know a few hours at a time and, and you've got to be able to switch yourself on and switch yourself off mm. you know throughout that competition to be able to make sure that um you, you're ready as the bowl is running in or as you've got those four or 30 seconds to be able to have your shots on the target so you know Concentration, the ability to, to um, switch your mind on and off to be able to maintain that concentration for a long period, and you know when it comes to the the, the clay target or skeet um, shooting with uh, with shotguns, really strong reflexes and a and a I guess an inane instinct. So you know, <laughs> practice, practice, practice brings instinct, and and then you've got to be able to trust that instinct when uh, when the time comes.
0: I watch that clay target shooting when it's uh, on mainstream Olympics or Commonwealth Games, and I think my goodness, I mean that is. That is something that is just beyond my level of comprehension. I mean, is there, and I'm sure you've had a crack, there must be a real sense of elation and success in your sport when you successfully hit a target. I mean, that would be quite a thrill, I imagine, especially for a a relative youngster or a novice at the sport to successfully achieve that for the first time.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt there's an adrenaline rush uh, within the sport. The power of, um, you know, holding a target uh, shooting a projectile at a target is um is one thing but then actually hitting that target is uh is, is definitely a good feeling no that's that make no mistake those targets move really quick mm. and um you know olympic trap and olympic skeet. you know the the, tra- the targets are, are traveling at sort of 67 kilometers an hour and to be able to pick them out of the sky is um is a, is a really good talent of course as you come you know down the pathway there's uh there's there's different formats or um, or models that, um, that that I guess the targets operate on so you know as you begin in a, in a format called you know, down the line clay target shooting you know, there's different angles and, and I guess slower speeds that um, that you might see, you know run a, run a summary you know similar to comparing test cricket to um, you know to forty over one day cricket on a hard wicket in the country. <laughs>
2: you
1: know, there's, there's different formats that suit all different types of competitors and it really makes for, for an inclusive sport. And, and there's, um, there's a great uh, you know, lot of examples of people from all different walks and backgrounds that have um, had real success in the sport.
0: Uh, Luke, would you regard shooting as, I mean, from one of a better term, perhaps a, a wealthy sport? And has that been adversely affected by what the world's had to endure over the last three months?
1: I certainly wouldn't regard it as a wealthy sport, but um, we have been able to ride the wave of the the COVID situation without too much financial hardship. I guess it's reflected differently across the community, as, uh, as I've heard People discussing the show. I mean, the you know the clubs and and their ability to retain membership, but also their ability to retain you know their business models through their facilities, whether it be with hospitality or you know other functions that they run, has has obviously been severely affected by the, the restrictions. We've actually discovered that you know within these restrictions, there there are a number of aspects of the sport that make it easy to participate under social distancing and that, um, you know, if you can create the right timetables and, uh, and I guess the, the right um, space between all of the, the competitors, then, you know, we've seen that you know, clubs have been able to reactivate and reboot in a really safe and responsible way.
0: Let's take a short break to hear from John Mannion at the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation.
2: It's brilliant that we're starting to return to sport to return to physical activity and to be part of a team again. Both wonderful things that will have a positive impact upon our mental health. But for some of us, the time out of sport may have been a challenge and so returning to the sporting group might be difficult for us. Therefore, we think it's really great if we look out for each other. And one way to do this is to know the five signs of mental distress that can help ourselves, our family and our friends. So why not look out for things like somebody not feeling themselves? have they started to become withdrawn? Maybe they're showing some signs of agitation. They could be starting to neglect themselves or having conversations with you where they're expressing their feel sense of hopelessness. If this is the case, it's important to reach out and to put your hand up. Take the time to connect with your families and friends. Give yourself permission to relax and to recharge. Remember, it's normal to feel stressed, sad and confused. And talking to a trusted family or friend can really help you. Remain calm and try to keep a routine as normal as possible. Look after yourselves and your loved ones. And remember, we're all in this together.
0: And now back to the show. I would imagine that there's a lot of advantages to shooting with regard to the COVID protocols. You might be one of the sports that really would have been able to get around the challenges better than most.
1: Certainly for the outdoor sports, mm. so the the clay target shooting and some of the long-range rifle shooting has been able to activate more easily than, you know, indoor rifle and indoor pistol ranges. You know, some of those ranges are indoor-outdoor and, and they've had to contend with, I guess, you know, numbers within enclosed environments and, and making sure that that can be managed. So, yeah, it has progressed differently within each of the different types of sports, but we had to significantly... Reduce at the beginning of the sort of the pandemic as the restrictions were coming down, we'd had our, our flagship event, the Shooting Australia Open, scheduled for the 18th to the 20th of March. And as it turned out, that was going to be the fourth and, and final Olympic selection criteria event. Mm-hmm. So, we'd, we'd expected sort of 400 to 450 people at uh, the Sydney International Shooting Centre for, for that event. And at the time, you know, you could still have 500 people or more at a at a mass gathering. That changed pretty rapidly. But we, we could see that all those things happening and we could see that there was a lot of fear in the community around travelling through airports and, and different things. So, we effectively had to cancel that, that event and only invite the athletes who had achieved a minimum qualification score who could effectively qualify for a place on the Olympic team and that that was when we you know I guess before the, the reboots sort of planning started that's when we identified that you know these sports can be undertaken with appropriate distancing and and with all the measures in place and yeah we were we able to hold that event and you know the the days that followed were absolute chaos given that you know we. Held the last event on the Sunday. The selection panel met on the Monday to um, to pick the team, and on the Tuesday, you know, from the Australian Olympics Committee's point of view, they were suggesting that you know they weren't going to be able to send a team, and and then later in the week, the IOC confirmed that uh, the Olympics were going to be postponed, and here we are sitting here with a, a team that had been uh, selected and uh, and not announced yet, wondering <laughs> what to do. So we had to go through some pretty intense meetings and in conversations to determine whether, you know, we go ahead and announce and, uh, and select this team that had been picked after the athletes had put in six months of really hard work to qualify themselves, or do we wait 12 months and see if people are in a different stage of form or, um, or to ensure that people are in form as, uh, as they head into the Olympics. But in the end, we were actually legally obliged, given we were, where we were at in the process, to, to go ahead and nominate the team to the Australian Olympic Committee. And we've since done that. There's 15 people who are set now and, and are beginning their training to, um, to go and represent Australia in Tokyo next year.
0: I've got the 15 names in front of me. Has there been any uh, particular management of those athletes? I imagine they're all expecting to be competing in this coming year, and that's been extended by a year. It's, it can be challenging for uh, some people who may be planned for life after the Olympic Games. Have you had to add to their uh, mental well-being, their physical well-being over the course of the last three months, knowing that when they're actually going to be competitors is a year down the track?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Once we decided we were going to be announcing the team, athlete health and, and well-being was then our number one priority. And Not only those athletes who were selected, but also those athletes who had missed selection. It was uh, uh, corresponding with the timing that people were getting sort of locked down in their own homes and, and isolation was potentially you know a real factor as it comes to, to mental health. So combine that with the fact that you've, you've narrowly missed selection in the Olympic team and, and now you're stuck in your house for who knows how long. Mm. You know, our athlete wellbeing and engagement team had to work really hard on connecting with our athletes and and checking in. And so a number of systems and processes were set up to make sure that that they were all in in good health. And and then, you know, it was really a, a call from our high performance team to say that, you know, our athletes have been through a, a really rigorous process recently. And so while some of the pistol and, and rifle athletes could use some technology in their homes to, to sort of practice different skills, the general call was made to say, Have a spell. It's it's a time in your program now that you can sort of rest and recuperate and you know be with your family through this sort of difficult time that the community was facing. So now we're starting to come out of that and we're starting to actually have a, a pretty different plan about how we're going to train our athletes because we would have had uh, you know significant overseas travel within the, I guess, the normal run into an Olympics where we can expose athletes to international competition that can provide them with meaningful training and, and competition that can prepare them for the Olympic Games. But we're seeing ourselves having to, I guess, revise our domestic schedule and and, and re-implement different competitions that are going to provide the athletes with, uh, I guess, a different set of circumstances as they train here in Australia for Tokyo next year.
0: Luke, you and I are South Australian and uh, something unique about shooting is that perhaps the best-known South Australian shooter is Libby Kozmala, a Paralympic athlete. Just very briefly describe shooting's Paralympic program and how important it is to the sport.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really important. And I mentioned how inclusive the sport can be as it, as it relates to you know, men and women and families. You know, we've got a really proud Paralympic history and, and, a, and a strong power program. Last year, we actually hosted the World Shooting Parasport World Championships in Sydney, which were a major international qualifier for the Paralympics in, in Tokyo. And uh, we had a number of athletes who, um, who performed really well. We've got two athletes who have qualified for the Paralympics already and, and another couple who were you know, missed their qualification opportunity there, but were sort of looking at different international events on the schedule as it was to be able to qualify. So, the Paralympic events are, are slightly different. So, uh, there's still pistol and, and rifle events that, um, that the para-athletes compete in. The shotgun events of skeet and trap haven't developed internationally enough yet to um, warrant a place at the Paralympics. There's, there's not enough sort of countries that are competing internationally at this stage. We're working with the World Shooting Parasport body to play a leadership role in the Oceania region to be able to continue to develop people who can uh, have access to the sport across those disciplines and I had a fantastic opportunity at the World Para Shooting Sports last year to uh, to try shooting for the uh, visually impaired which um, might sound quite incredible. And and I'll tell you what, it is incredible. It it basically uses a a sensor that you put on where you would usually look through a site, but where you can't see it. It uses like a radar technology to sort of hone in and I guess you receive sound through a headphone that the frequency intensifies the closer you are to your target. So that was a real privilege to to see those athletes in action and to see the development of the sport being uh, something that even more and more people can participate
0: in. Continue on the inclusive line here, Luke. 15 athletes, you said, going to the Olympic Games, seven of them women. Great that women are getting the opportunity alongside the men to compete. Of course, Letitia Scanlon, Commonwealth gold medalist uh, from a couple of years ago. So not only are they getting the chance to compete, they're getting the chance to succeed.
1: They are. And, and you know, we've got, a um, particularly in that, that women's track field, we've got, you know, at one stage, you know, last year we had three women in the top ten internationally and so wow. um, as it relates we um, we can only take two. As part of the uh, the women's trap team, and, and so Catherine Skinner, who was the gold medalist at Rio, has actually missed selection this time around. So know yeah, that that's a credit to Penny Smith and Letitia Scanlon, who uh, over that period of time have continued to develop their game. And, and so yeah, we've got a really strong women's program that um, that, that goes across um, to you know the, the skeets and, and the rifle fields as well. It was um, it was great to uncover a, a an athlete coming out of Melbourne called Elise Collier. Who's, um, who's qualified in, in the rifle discipline for the Olympics, who um, yeah, has had to overcome you know, a number of hurdles to be able to find her way and participate in the sport. And it's really great to see that there's a lot of success ahead for our women and our female athletes.
0: Katarina Kalpos, I think she's a colleague of mine at The Advertiser. I think she does some work um, in the printing section. Of the newspaper, and I reckon you may not even be aware of this, Luke. But uh, Alina Galia i hope I've pronounced that name close to correct—a doctor yeah. in her spare time. Now she'd have yeah. a steady hand. She—I'd be very happy with her doing an operation on me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, she's had to put some of her medical studies aside or space them out over over a period of time to to you know to focus on her dream of winning uh, a medal at at the Olympics. But uh, yeah. Catechopolis had a really you know, interesting time. There was about you know, probably nine days lag between when she was notified of her place in the Olympic team and, and when the team was announced. So she referred to the fact that you know, having been working in the advertiser through that period was, uh, was really difficult to keep a lid on it, but um, she knew how important it was. The,
0: the, the potential for a leak, of course. Uh, and of course, the, the Rossiter family. A shame that we're not seeing Victoria off uh, to the games, but Jack, a young South Australian star, a- alongside Alex Hoberg as well. So in South Australia, Luke, the sport seems very well catered for.
1: The Rifle Centre of Excellence is um, is run here in in South Australia. Of course, our headquarters is is based here but yeah certainly our um you know our, our rifle program partners with the south australian sports institute SASI um yeah there's been uh, some great opportunities for, for local athletes to progress and you know jack's uh, you know, a real product of, of of that environment um you know dane sampson's moved himself down from queensland to um to base himself here with our with our coaches and to have exposure to um to the facilities that uh, are on offer here and yeah, people like Victoria and Cater and others are, are really coming through. It's just, a, you know, Alex is still at school and he's been selected to go and compete at the uh, at the Olympics next year. So a great achievement for him. And, you know, he's, he's someone who's got a long career in the sport.
0: Luke, there's so many fascinating stories uh, in shooting from uh, women, kids, uh, Libby Kosmala, a, a leading light in the Paralympic field. been fascinating to chat to you today and we appreciate your time here at Hooked on Sport.
1: Thanks, Hooky. It's great to connect and uh, look forward to tuning in for more episodes in the future.
0: Good on you, mate. We'll keep an eye out for your athletes next year.
1: Thanks, mate. Hi, I'm Bruce McEvany, and you're listening to Cooked on Sport.
0: Shooting Australia is sending 15 athletes off to the 2021 Games. The youngest is 18 and the oldest is 43. It makes it one of the Australian Olympic squad's most diverse teams. Thanks to Luke Van Kempen for sharing the story of those athletes and their sport. So that hits the bullseye on episode 28. As always, our gratitude to Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation with support from Business SA and SA Health. Hooked on Sport is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please feel free to get in contact and say good day. Thanks to Ben Watson, who wrote and recorded the musical intro to Hooked on Sport and to the show's producers, Wallace Long and Desiree McMahon. We'll see you soon at Hooked on Sport.